Last week, we closed chapter four in the book of Mark, and we saw that Jesus and his disciples, they set out one evening for a seven-mile boat trip across the Sea of Galilee. And during that trip, they encountered what I call a megastorm. And Jesus, in the midst of that, stood up, and he spoke to the wind, and he spoke to the waves. He told them to be silent, and it went completely calm. The disciples went from being scared of the storm to being scared of the Jesus that was in their boat. They made this statement at the end of the passage that we read last week, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Jesus is a whole lot more than the disciples realized. And we saw that because there's over a dozen passages in the Old Testament that refer to Yahweh God as the only one that has power over the weather. And so now they're in a conundrum because they had a theological view of the Messiah, but they're left to wonder that maybe they didn't see the Messiah as he truly is and how great he really uh, truly is. And Jesus is in their boat and they're thinking, who is this Jesus? He's just demonstrated that he has power over all the natural elements. And in chapter five, we're gonna see that Jesus has power over all of the demonic He has power over all disease and he has power over death. So as we study today, we're gonna take the easiest one of the three, which is power over the demonic. It's the funnest one of the three. In this passage, I would tell you in verse one to 20, we're gonna see how horrible demonic power can be, but how incredible Jesus's power really is. And the Bible says this, we'll begin to read verse one and all the way to verse 20. Here's what it says. They came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been torn apart by him and the shackles had broken into pieces and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him and shouting with a loud voice, he said, what business do we have with each other? Jesus, son of the most high God, I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country There was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored Jesus saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. And Jesus gave them permission. Coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon possessed sitting down clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had the legion and they became frightened. And it looks like they're frightened like the disciples were after Jesus had power over the winds and the waves. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave their region. And he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon possessed was imploring him that he might accompany Jesus and he did not let him. And he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. 
Amen. This is the word of the Lord. In 2019, Barna Research Group conducted a survey of almost 2,000 evangelical self-described Christians, asking them questions about Satan and demonic spirits. The first question was this, do you believe that Satan is personal, just as the Bible describes, and that he's evil and at work in the world, just like he once was? 40% of the people who are self-described evangelical Christians said that they believe that Satan was only a symbol of evil and not a personal being. Only 26% of those that were asked believed that he was personal, that he was evil, and that he was still at work. In other words, to be clear, only a quarter of the people that were asked, these were people that called themselves Christians, actually believed the biblical narrative about the devil. Strangely enough, they asked them another question, and by the way, this is a study you can read for yourself on Barna Research Group's website, 60% of the people believe that a person could be influenced by spiritual forces such as demons. And this is sort of strange because only 26% really believe the biblical narrative about the devil and demons. But then all of a sudden, 60% thought, well, you can be influenced by demonic spirits. And what I conclude from this study is that people are really confused about the devil and demons. It seems to me the more questions you ask, the more confusion you'll get. And I think that's true for us as well. And this serious confusion is something that I've encountered quite a bit. And it takes a lot of time and study and and some experience to understand this demonic realm. And by the way, who wants to be an authority on demons? Not I, said the guy. It is not something I want in my bio. Pastor Ben, the foremost authority on demonic spirits. I think not. But during the time of Jesus' ministry, there were many who were tormented by demonic spirits. But this story does not characterize the normal type of torment that these ancient communities experienced. And the same is true for us today. People are influenced by demons. People have various levels of influence. But this story is extreme. This story is bizarre. This story is at the height of what we might call spiritual warfare. And so it is important for us as we read the story to know that this is not the normal experience for an ancient community and it's not the normal experience for us today, but it did happen and it still happens. However, this does not represent the fullness of spiritual warfare. There is a level of spiritual warfare that you and I face all the time. And that's what I think my concern would be is that people read a story like this and they go, I don't relate to that. I don't understand that. I've never seen that. And as a result of it, we can easily write off spiritual warfare altogether. And so we've got to take a step back and realize there is a level of spiritual warfare we all face And those levels can grow to extremes, which some of us will face as well. C.S. Lewis said this, I've quoted it before, but it's worth repeating. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall concerning demonic spirits. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, demons themselves, are equally pleased by both errors, and they hail a materialist and a magician just the same. And what he's saying, because he uses terms that maybe we don't use, he's talking about there are some people who do not believe that demonic activity happens today. There are people that just write everything of the spiritual realm off. And then there are people that are consumed with thinking 
Everything is a demon. You'd heard the term that there's a demon under every rock. I really don't know where we come up with these weird terms. Like I've never thought of a demon being under a rock, but it's a, it's a weird term. People are like, you think there's a demon under every rock. And it's a way of saying people are preoccupied, too preoccupied with um, de- a demonic source for everything that happens. What we're saying today is there, is there are demons in the world There are principalities and powers. Paul would tell us we wrestle not just against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. We do know that there's something going on in the spiritual world. There is a spiritual realm and we need to understand it, not avoid it, not ignore it, not act like it doesn't happen, not write it off. We need to understand it in a real way. And that's why I think when we read passages like this, it can help us if we properly understand the text that we're, that we're reading and how, how it is that we can handle it for today and relate to it. The first point that I want to make from this passage is this, the presence of Jesus confronts the demonic. The presence of Jesus confronts the demonic. I'll read it again to you. Verse one, they came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes, When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him and he had his dwelling among the tombs. No one was able to bind him anymore. Everybody say anymore. Anymore. That little detail is not in Luke and it's not in Matthew, but it is in Mark. When Mark brings up a detail, it matters. That little word there will be important for our study today. No one was able to bind him anymore even with a chain because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been torn apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly night and day he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up, bowed down before him, shouting with a loud voice. He said, what business do we have with each other, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. The, demon who's been, the demons who've been tormenting a man for many years are now asking Jesus not to torment them. I find that interesting. Here we have Jesus and his disciples. They get out into this region called the Gerasenes. Now there is a city called Gerasa, but they're really far from it at this point. This is a region of, of the Decapolis, okay? That makes up about 10 cities. It's a large region like the region of Galilee. And this is Uh, occupied by mostly Gentiles. That's why you see the the herders of pigs. You would not find this in a region that's mostly Jews. And so Jesus and his disciples, they get out of the boat and they encounter this highly demonized man. And the first thing I want us to be aware of is the demons were absolutely aware of the presence of Jesus. Verse six says that the man saw Jesus from a distance, perhaps while they were still in the boat. And then verse one tells us that the man ran down the bank and as soon as he saw Jesus and his disciples, he fell to the ground on his knees right in front of him. Now, I don't know how to paint the picture, but Jesus is standing there secure, confident, immovable, and the man runs down and falls right in front of Jesus. Jesus is at total peace. It's an amazing thing that you see and nobody had ever experienced anything like it. But what we can tell from the passage is that demons knew who Jesus was And the demons knew they were under judgment. Other passages actually show us that they were aware of the judgment that was coming to them. 
Now they were a little bit confused by Jesus's timing because they didn't think that judgment was coming now. And so they're confused. They're saying, don't torment us. And they're not negotiating with his power like they can sort of usurp him, but they're negotiating in what he does to manage this situation. Put us into the swine or permit us to go here. They're kind of trying to present a little bit of a negotiation with Jesus, but they're very aware that there is something more to this man than just a human person. Not everyone can see what even the demons can see. And I, I think that's an important point. When Jesus showed up, the demons could recognize right away who he was. They didn't need anybody else to explain it to them. They saw him from a far way off. And when they came in this man, they fell at his feet and they expressed son of the most high God. They addressed who he really was. They could discern things in the spiritual realm. And the presence of God shows up, demons may manifest. Why am I bringing this up? Because my experience is actually this as well, is that when we pray sometimes as a church, or maybe if you're at our Ignite gathering, we pray for the presence of God to show up. We pray for the glory of the Lord to show up. And let me explain that because every now and again, I'll have somebody walk up to me and say, hey, Ben, we shouldn't pray for the presence of God to show up because the presence of God is already here. He lives in you. And I go, thank you very much for saying that, we knew that theologically the Holy Spirit lives in all of us. We understood that. We're not praying that he would come like we have some come and go theology like, hey, when I'm disciplining my kids, the, the Lord's not with me. And then when, I, when I'm doing well, he's with me. And like the Holy Spirit comes and goes. We don't believe that. But what we do believe and what I think we see from scripture is the presence, the manifest presence of God comes in power sometimes. And I've been in meetings where when we begin to pray, all of a sudden what I can explain is the glory of the Old Testament would say the Shekinah, the glory of the Lord shows up and you begin to feel it. I mean, God forbid we use the word feel in church today. You begin to feel something. And I can remember being in a meeting one time and nobody could get to the ground fast enough because the presence of God was so strong. We, nobody had to say, hey, you know, we should go on our knees and start to pray right now. Everybody was already going that way. In fact, you couldn't get low enough because the glory of God was so strong in the room. We just were in the presence of a holy God. The same God that lives in us, if you're a Christian, this, by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't as though he wasn't here before. It was that he was revealing himself in a very powerful way. I've had these scenarios happen where I've been in meetings. I, I think I told you this story. I won't go into it today, but the first time I ever saw a manifestation of a demonic spirit was actually in a church service that I was preaching at. I mean, it was very clear manifestation. I've seen other things, but I, won't, I can't go into it today. <laughs> Some of you are like, please do <laughs> validate my existence. <laughs> I swear I'm weird. Help me. No, I am. I, um, Some of you have never encountered demonic manifestations and good on you. I pray that your life is free from that for the rest of your life. But for the rest of us, I never asked for it, but it just started happening when I came to Christ after a while. And, and I remember a, a, a gal started manifesting and fell on the ground and started kind of curling up into a fetal position, kind of rolling around. It was wild. I mean, it was just wild. And the prayer team didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to really do. And and the Lord led us. And that was like the first of many. And so whether it was in church or when I was uh, working with Seattle Union Gospel Mission and we were walking the streets of Capitol Hill, I came into a lot of scenarios and situations that were wild and people would start screaming. I had a guy spit at me one time and he starts screaming and lunging at me like he was gonna knock me down. And all we did was we were like, 
We just read the Bible in the name of Jesus Christ. You know, we were like, and he didn't stop. And we were like, this doesn't work. You know, this doesn't. So my friend was like, well, you should pray. And I said, that's, yes, that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And so we started praying and, and, uh, and you know what the Lord did? The Lord does, the Lord shows you it's not a wrestle against flesh and blood, that this is a person and you need to, we need to love each other and pray that whatever is animating that, that he pulls the plug. And so when we did, we were out in Capitol Hill in time, we prayed and that's exactly what happened. I mean, it, the Lord just pulled the plug on the spiritual force behind this guy. And then we got to minister to him for like an hour and a half. It was powerful. What I've learned though, is, is that when the power of the Holy Spirit shows up, if there is a lying foul spirit, sometimes it will manifest itself. You, you remember the story that we've already read about? It is nothing like this one. You, you probably forgot about it, okay? So Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, and as he starts to teach, a manifestation of a demon comes out of a guy that was sitting there the whole time. There was a guy sitting there the whole time. Nobody knew this man had any kind of demonic influence, and Jesus started to teach, and all of a sudden, something came out of him, and Jesus just dealt with it quickly, and then he probably just went on teaching. Don't you love that about Jesus? It was just another day in the kingdom. It was just, that's why the Bible says he spoke or taught with authority. Authority. Not just that he had studied what he was saying. It's that he really knew what he was saying. There was an authority. His words were freighted with heaven. When he spoke, there was a power that demons were not interested in. Demons would flee from. Friends, I, I want to tell you, Demons are aware of the presence of Jesus and wherever they might be lurking in or around people's lives, when the power of God shows up, at times they will manifest. The second part of this is the demons tormented this man for many years. The passage describes what being demonized looked like. It says he lived among the tombs. Now the tombs were the places right where the cemeteries were. And these were these caverns or caves carved into the rock. It's where you would take a dead body after they wrapped it up. Jews had different protocols than Gentiles, but they would take a dead body, a corpse, and they would place it in the tomb. And when it had eroded into bones, they would take those bones and bury them in the cemetery. So this man living in the tombs means that he's living around corpses. He's living around the dead. Now, the disciples were Jewish, so there's no way they wanted to be around anything dead because it makes them unclean. And my opinion is that disciples never got out of the boat anyways. I don't think that they stepped on the shore not once. Now, I can't prove that, but it is my opinion. This man lived among the tombs. It said he could not control himself. He was violent towards others. He was cutting himself with rocks, screaming. He was sleepless torment. It says he was cutting himself with rocks. Did you know self-harm? And cutting is inspired by demonic power. Amen. What you're not hearing me say is that somebody that does that is, de is fully demonized. That's not what I said. What I'm saying is, is that this is inspired and influenced by demonic spirits. When you look in 1 Kings chapter 18, what you find is there were prophets of Baal that were calling on their God to answer by fire. What did they start doing when Baal didn't answer? They started to cut themselves. They let the blood flow from themselves. They were doing this in a form of worship, incantation, calling upon their gods. Why were they doing this? It was inspired by demonic power. Friends, did you know that there are large percentages of people that are cutting themselves today? And do you know why they're doing it? It's not because they woke up saying, I want to do this. It's because there is something that is telling them to harm themselves, to hate themselves. This is what is happening in our generation. So to think that demonic activity is not happening today means that we have our head in the sand. 
I mean, we can live a sanitized life. There are things that we can do to like sort of safeguard ourselves and live in a bubble where we don't think of what's really going on out there. But I'm telling you, it is coming to a home and a school near you. This is already happening. This isn't my fearful talk about what you should be scared about. This is just reality. It's going on. I remember years ago, maybe a decade now, that's a long time for me. I feel so young and you're like, 10 years ago. <laughs> 20 years from now, guys, I'll be 62 and I'll say, back when I was a young guy. <laughs> I can't wait to say that, I think. All right, maybe it'll give me more validity. I don't know. Anyhow, me and a guy were doing a conference and there was a word of knowledge that came. And the word of knowledge was that there's somebody here that's been cutting themselves and the Lord is healing you. And it was that simple, the Lord is healing you. There was a girl that came up and she had been cutting herself for years. And so they, I know what the scars look like. I've prayed for many. I used to do a lot of youth camps. I've seen all kinds of kids, lots of good Christian kids, okay? Lots of, lots of kids in our homes with cuts, cuts, cuts on their wrist, cuts down their arm, different places. And this girl walks up and she had multiple cuts on her arm previous, but the word of knowledge was that she, she's gonna get healed. She came up and her skin was clean like it had never happened. Now, I didn't see the skin beforehand, but she explained to us that she had at least a dozen cuts on her arm. And by the time she walked up to the platform, her skin was as clean as anybody else's. And that's incredible, right? Because this is what Jesus was saying. I have power over what a demon has inspired you to do. I'm not saying she was demonized. I'm saying she was influenced. There was something in her mind telling her in her ear saying, do this, hurt yourself, hate yourself. You're not worth anything. And she heard that to the point of execution. But look what God did. He turned it all around, didn't he? And he made her skin just clean like a baby. It was incredible. And we rejoice like you want to in your heart right now. Come on, when God does something, we get excited about it, you know? When the devil does something, it's like, oh, there he goes again. No, it's probably just people. No, we rejoice when God moves. We're used to bad news and we got to get used to good news in these days because God is doing something, you know? And so it says this guy was not able to control himself. He could not be subdued. And look what it says. No one could bind him anymore. That suggests that they used to be able to. At one point they could bind him, but now he's breaking the shackles. They're bringing bigger ones. It doesn't matter. He has superhuman strength. And over the years, somehow these demon spirits, these many that they were, found a stronghold in him that grew into this possession. It took years though. The other part of this is Jesus specifically came to this region to set this man free from torment. Don't you love this about Jesus? I just wanna bring up a point that I don't believe Jesus told the disciples where they were going. In fact, I don't think he could, right? Because they wouldn't go. I mean, this is who they were. They, if Jesus said, hey, we're gonna go onto the Sea of Galilee, we're gonna encounter a storm. I know a couple of you guys are fishermen, but you, this is a storm you ain't never seen before. We're gonna encounter a storm and uh, you're gonna think you're gonna die, but watch, watch what I do. And then when we get to the other side, because he, he's gonna get to the other side, we're gonna encounter a man and he's gonna call himself legions. And maybe they heard the word about this guy. Maybe this guy, everybody knew about him. Who knows? We don't know. Maybe they'd heard about him, but we're going to encounter this demonized guy unlike you've ever seen before. And then we're going to meet a woman who's had an issue with, blood, with, with her blood flow. And you're going to see I have power over disease. And, and then we're going to raise somebody from the dead just to top it all off. Just, <laughs> and I bet you half of them would say, see you when you get back. No storm. No legion, see you when you get back, Jesus. I can just imagine, I don't know how to paint the visual, but it's like Jesus came to this region to heal 
this man, to set him free from his torment. When they get to the shore, the man is running. And, and you know what Luke tells us? So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, synoptic gospels. Matthew tells us there were two de- demoniacs, but Mark and Luke only focus on one, so that's why we are. But Luke tells us the man was naked and could no longer wear any clothes. Isn't that an interesting detail? Now, Luke's a physician, so he would say some, something like that, wouldn't he? So here's a naked man, visual. Try not to... Here's a naked man, like naked, jaybird, just running down the hill ah, and falls at the feet of Jesus. I bet you Peter took one step out of the boat, saw the naked man running and thought, I'm getting back into this boat. I'm, I'm not, <laughs> let's just see what happens. Let's just see what happens, okay? I mean, <laughs> I don't even know how you explain this one to your kids, you, you see. The disciples were thinking, Jesus, why don't... Why don't we just stay on the other side? It's more safe and comfortable over there. And and I would say to you that one of the greatest problems that the church of today has, and I don't just mean us, I mean like sometimes the problems that we face today is that we desire comfort over mission. It's what we want convenience over cost, you know? And I think the disciples were in that place and Jesus didn't often tell them where they were going because he was trying to show them what he had power over because he's gonna give the mission to them. See, friends, we've reduced sometimes Christianity down to intellectualism, what you know. I'll tell you what, though. You can know a lot about demons and never be able to cast one out of a person when you have a situation in front of you. You can know a lot about how God wants to be a healer and never pray for anybody that's sick. Now, I love doctors and nurses and medical practitioners. I'm all for that. But Jesus is the great physician in our home. And so we go to doctors and we do all that stuff, but we call on Jesus. Friends, we call on Jesus. And we teach our family to call on Jesus. And and Jesus is one that brings freedom. Can you say amen to that today? You know, I'm not against medication and I'm not against all that. We're not that kind of a church. We we understand that there are... There are natural elements and there are spiritual elements, but I believe we're at a place in America where we have discarded the spiritual. I I really see it. I mean, one of the reasons I would say, or one of the evidences of that is I traveled for 10 years and I went to 200 churches and I preached and I felt like a lot of what they wanted me to do is to do the stuff that they didn't do. Talk about the stuff we don't normally talk about and do the stuff that we don't normally do. Prophesy, pray for the sick, see people baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I'm thinking, why don't we all do this? This should be an everyday thing in the kingdom of God. If the church is good at anything, it should be prayer. You can't get a doctorate in prayer. You can't get a PhD in prayer. You can't get a master's degree in deliverance. You understand? Unless you go to the Jesus school. And so Jesus is trying to help his disciples say, this is ministry. I want you to do this. I, I, I won't tell you where we're going because you won't go but I'll bring you into the situation so that you can see something that you need to see and it will change you and you'll never be the same again. Jesus is now exercising his power over all the work of the enemy in this man. He specifically came to bring freedom. But I think the disciples were constantly in the conundrum of like, Jesus, I wanna help people with a few personal dilemmas, but not a few personal demons. And maybe it is that you haven't dealt with this before, but I would tell you like the more out there you get or the more involved you are with our community or the more, our city is sick, guys. Our country is sick. The hour that we're living in, it's sick. 
And I've said this before and I'll say it again. And if you have ears to hear me and if you trust me at all, hear what I'm saying right now. I believe this prophetically, I do. I think the church that is going to be relevant in the days ahead are not churches that are eloquent with speech. They're not churches that have the lights, the camera and the action and a great online platform. It is the churches that actually know how to help people get free. You can't just say that it comes from Jesus. It does. But how are we helping people get free from the bondage that people are facing so they can come out of the shadows and walk in the light? The Bible says that he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Now, the church hasn't fully experienced that yet, but we can and we will. He brings freedom, not just to the most demonized, but to anybody that is under the influence of the flesh, the world, and the devil. We've got to believe in a God who sets people free again, and because that's what he does. And so when I read passages like this, I don't distance myself from what he did because I don't relate to this man. What I do is I go, well, if there be any influence whatsoever in us or in me, Lord, set us free in the name of Jesus. The power of Jesus casts out the demonic as well. Look at verse eight. For he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, what is your name? And can I park right there? I, I've got to clear up a, a Pentecostal faux pas here. Uh, I was in deliverance ministry for three years. We prayed for like 800 to 1,000 people. We prayed for a lot of people. And I saw a lot of things that I don't want to describe. We have kids in here. Uh, but I... I don't appreciate when people feel like they have to name the spirit all the time. There's a lot of these ridiculous things that we do uh, in deliverance ministry that are not necessary. I pray general prayers and watch freedom happen. You know, sometimes when I pray, it's like trying to name every medical condition. I mean, we've got a few doctors in the room. I see you, I'm smiling at you. I mean, the last thing I'm gonna do is try to name somebody's medical condition. And if I name the medical condition, then God will heal it. It's like, What's your name? You know, Jesus did not ask the name of the demon because he needed it in order to have authority over it. We don't understand things in the spiritual world. I mean, that's not, that's not on anybody's bio. He didn't ask that because he needed to, ha to have that power over him because he, if he could name him, then he had power. No, friends, listen, I've been around a lot of people and when they pray, it's like, we have to ask the person the name of the demon and then we can take authority. No, half the time we're wrong. No, it's not true. Just pray if there is any evil, lying, or foul spirit here in the name of Jesus, we command you to leave. It's the authority that you walk in. It's not your technique. And we just gotta kick that stuff out of the church. It doesn't work. I remember one time we prayed for a guy and he was seriously under some kind of pain and we just laid hands on him and I was like, Lord, whatever's wrong here, make it right. And he did. And I was like, wow, that's a great technique. I call it the general technique. It's the umbrella technique. <laughs> And so if you know the thing, great. But can I tell you, there are a lot of really bad practices in the Pentecostal church. Uh, and when I see anybody do them, I will kindly, politely say, please don't do that. It doesn't matter if you did. It's the authority that you walk in. And that's behind closed doors and that's before people. It's the authority that you walk in. All right, I was here. My name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out into the country now there was a large herd of pigs feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter nearby on, on the mountain. Or send us, uh, the demons implored him saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Sorry, Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine and the herd rushed down 
the steep bank into the sea, 2,000 of them, and they were drowned into the sea. The first part of this is I believe the man was engaging Jesus for deliverance from the demonic. I don't know if you see that here, but in verse six, it says that the man or the demons in the man, it doesn't actually tell you, saw Jesus from a long way off. In verse one, it says, they fell down. Listen to this. They fell down. The man fell down. The demons were in the man, fell down. It says they bowed down before him. That word bowed down, that word bowed down. It's translated 32 times in the New Testament as worship. Only a handful of times is it ever bowed down. The word worship literally means to bow down. It means to bow down, bow down before someone in reverence and honor and awe. That's what it means. The demons were not worshiping Jesus. The man was, I believe this, this word demon possession is not a good word. It, 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 it's a real estate term. Possession speaks of property. I'm gonna make a comment here. I may have to clean it up. I won't have time today. Awesome. <laughs> I don't think the word possession is the right word. Demonization is the better word. John Wimber used to teach this. Many others have taught this. This is not my teaching. Demonization, which speaks of levels of influence. Demons can influence people at various levels, okay? So it starts here. This is a low level, and what we call, what the Bible says, possession. It's not the right word, so it's demonization. And what we find in this passage is that the devil does not own anybody. God made us in his image according to his likeness. The devil can influence people. And yes, demons were subduing this man to the point where it looked like he had zero control. But I would tell you this, God opens the heart. God opens the mind. God allows windows of opportunity for demonized people to get free. And that's exactly what you see here. When the man fell, he was worshiping him. The devil owns nothing. He's a counterfeit. He's a liar. Amen. He's a liar. And the only way he can gain entrance to a person's life is through invitation or agreement. But he has to lie and trick in order to do it. He owns nothing. And so sometimes people will argue, they'll say, well, can a Christian be demon-possessed? I already think we're asking the wrong question. Here's my question to you. Can a Christian be influenced by demonic power? Oh, help you if you didn't say yes. So we're always arguing over these theological points, which I think sometimes are irrelevant unless you're dealing with churches that have horrible teaching on spiritual warfare. In that regard, I understand why we'd ask the question. But yes, demons can influence people. My question is, why are we arguing over in and on and upon and around? I don't want any influence of a demon for anybody, amen. And so we've got to stop just putting it into theological terms. When you begin to meet people, when you come in contact with them and you realize that there is influence in people's lives, we don't care whether it's little or it's a lot. We want to cast it out in the name of Jesus. He brings freedom. I believe God was opening this man's heart, opening up his mind that he would have an opportunity because Jesus didn't see him as a demon. Jesus saw him as a man. And the reality is this region has discarded this man and all they see is legion. But Jesus came for the man. When the man was on his knees before Jesus, Jesus was speaking to the demon to cast them out, but he was speaking to the man to raise him up. He sees the man. Now here's my question. Do we demonize people in our world today? Yes. Where's that influence coming from? I think we need to move away from some of these irrelevant questions and conversations and move towards being a people of freedom that bring the liberating reality of the risen Christ into the lives of people that need it the most. 
The demons could not resist the power of Jesus. When they were asked their name, they said legion, which is a Roman military term for a cohort of four to 6,000 soldiers under the rank of a commanding officer. I don't know exactly how all the power of the enemy works, but Ephesians 6:10 through 14, 15 tells us we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. Principalities, princes over regions. There's a rank, so to speak. There's an organization that they've had thousands of years to get better at. Principalities, I don't even know what they are, but they're ranking demons as it were. And then it says principalities and powers. There are rulers in the world, forces that the enemy uses. If you look at every continent of the world, you will see a certain kind of power that is demonically inspired. And I believe there's at least five to seven of them. Racism is one of them. Sexual immorality is one of them. In every continent, in every nation, you will see these sins. These sins are not just of people, not just of evil hearts. They may be executed by the evil of our hearts, but they are inspired of demonic origin. Absolutely. The devil wants people to hate each other. The devil wants people to kill each other. Demonic spirits are stirring a warfare among human beings so that we wouldn't know God and make him known. There's an agenda. So these demonic spirits are overpowering this guy and they're imploring Jesus to send them into the pigs. They know their judgment is coming. They negotiate, Jesus, send us into the pigs. And it says Jesus permitted them to do so. Now you want to know why the pigs? We're thinking about the piggies, aren't we? I, I don't know that I can give you the answer, but my, my answer to you, and this is the BIV, this is Ben's International Version, is that, that's another way of saying this is what I think. I think that these demons had a stronghold in this region for a long time through this man. This is just the person they found to establish that stronghold in the region. And now that Jesus was there and he was gonna cast them out, they were like, we wanna stay in the area. So they see the pigs and clearly, I don't know that I have a theology on demons living in animals, but there it is. So they say, send us into the swine. It says Jesus permitted them. Well, demons are dumb with a capital D. And Jesus is smart with a capital S. They thought that we could stay in this region if you just cast us into the pigs. Jesus knew the minute you go into the pigs, you're gonna go berserk and drown the pigs. And that's exactly what they did. Jesus knew that was gonna happen. They didn't know it was gonna happen. And this is my opinion on, on that. But I also think that it's a judgment of the region. And you see that, why would I say that? Because look at how they respond to him. The testimony of Jesus gives hope to the demonized. Look at this. The herdsmen ran away, reported it in the city, in the country. The people came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus, observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, the man who had the legion, and they became frightened. They became frightened. Those who had seen it described it to them. How do you describe this to anybody that wasn't there? How do you describe this story to anybody? And they tried to describe it to the other people about the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And this is their response. Please leave our region. Please leave our region. This is a judgment against these people. This story about the swine would never go away from the area of the Decapolis. 
I mean, if anything like that ever happened in federal way, we'd be talking about it to our, I mean, I don't know how we talk about it to our kids, but we'd be talking about something like this forever. This is how, there was no newspaper emails. There was no social media. There were stories. They would be telling about the power of Jesus over the demonic spirits for as, as long as they were alive. This, this was a judgment over this region, I believe. And these people said, Jesus, leave our region. You know, what if that's what happens in our world too? That we have a great liberator who comes to set us free. He can do anything, he can do everything. And yet here's what we say, please leave our region. I want the forgiveness for when I sin and heaven when I die, but I don't know that I'm really that interested in getting as free as I need to be. We need to welcome all of what Jesus does into our life. We need to welcome all of who Jesus is into our church. All, all of who Jesus, he is the deliverer, he brings freedom. He's the healer, he heals broken bodies. He's the savior, he forgives sin, but he's the only one that can do all of it. And so we want all of the ministry of Jesus and you see this reflection, we want him to leave, we want him to go. And the man responds to Jesus, he tries to get into his boat. He's trying to get into the boat, says Jesus, Jesus says stop. I want you to go preach throughout the Decapolis region and I want you to tell them all the good things that God has done for you. And you know what the man does? He does exactly what Jesus tells him to do. He's perhaps the greatest evangelism this Gentile region has ever seen. What is anybody gonna say to him? My name used to be Legion and now he's Frank or Bob or whatever. But that's a great start to a sermon. If you used to ask me my name uncontrollably, I, I used to say it was Legion. That's how he starts his sermon. And this would have brought hope to everybody. You know the saddest part though? The saddest part to me is that the people that saw the kind of freedom that Jesus can bring and should have ran to go get every mother, brother, cousin, sister, aunt, uncle for freedom. They should have ran to bring them to Jesus. They said, please leave. They were more interested in whether it was their financial loss or they were frightened because they were convicted of their sin, whatever it was. They were more concerned about themselves than they were about the freedom of their friends and family. Friend, this, this I think this still happens. What, what we know is that demons dehumanize, Jesus restores dignity. Demons bring terrible bondage, but Jesus brings incredible freedom. Demons work through lies, Jesus establishes and exposes the truth. And demons hate God's creation, but Jesus loves us so much that he gave himself for us. This phrase that came to my mind as I close was this, is that sometimes you'll hear people, or I've heard him say this before, I, I don't think that I've ever said it. I don't wanna say I haven't, but I don't think I have. Is that we see how far gone a person is and we say, well, that person's a lost cause. But don't you love that when Jesus looks at people, he doesn't think like that at all because he literally came to start a cause for the lost. So he doesn't say what we sometimes say and he, he doesn't see what we often see. And friends, he does not do what we're limited to. He doesn't. He brings freedom for the captives. So maybe we don't know Legion and maybe we've never seen that before, but if there is any demonic lies, if there's any bondage, if there's any secret sin, willful, unrepentant secrets in the shadows. I wanna tell you, God wants to bring us out into the glorious light that nothing would have a hold on us except the Holy Spirit of God. And our position is this, we're not going to let that happen. And so here's how I wanna close. Would you stand and we'll pray. And I, I want you to pray, even if this isn't for you, you might say, well, Ben, I don't think I'm dealing with anything or 
But if there is something bigger than you in your life right now, if there's a bondage that you have that you've been struggling with, there's no shame today. I just want to tell you that Jesus speaks freedom over your life. Jesus comes to, do you believe that today? He comes to bring freedom. I'm thankful to be a part of the church, a part of a church that believes this and sees it happen all the time. There are people I can point to in the room. You, you are not like what you were six months ago, friend. You weren't. Come on, just shake your head. You were not what you were six months ago. Jesus brought that freedom into our lives. And so today, if there's any lying or foul spirit, if there's any bondage or if there's any seduction or solicitation of the enemy, I want you to pray, whether it's for you or someone you know, someone around you, let's pray that he breaks the power of that. And if you need prayer today, I want you to come forward. Our pastors and leaders will be here, our prayer ministers. We wanna pray with you in agreement to the God that brings freedom. So join me as I pray. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this example. And sometimes we don't relate to all the stories in the Bible, but what we do know is that demonic power is still at work in the world today. And we thank you that your power is greater. We thank you that this story is not a story of the power of Satan. It's a story of the power of the living God. And I pray today that you would free your people, free anyone watching from the bondage that we may have today. We thank you, Lord, for our children. We pray for freedom over them right now. Freedom from the lies that are telling them what to do, how to do it, how to see themselves. Father, we pray that you would break the power of those lies and expose it for what it is but it is not you. And we say that today, those thoughts are not me and they are not God. And so we ask you, Lord, cut off the broadcasting system of Satan and his demonic power. And we thank you today for freedom. We speak freedom over every life today. Freedom, freedom, freedom in the name of Jesus. We thank you, we receive it. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org, or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.